Well, hey there, everyone. Matthew Thrift here with Brokering Different, one of the brokers here at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, and Joiner Realtors, and welcome you to this particular video regarding the new South Carolina form SCR 310, the agreement to buy and sell. We're going to be discussing specifically the major change that took place, and it just came out June 13th, 2022 of this year, where as opposed to the old contract that had repair procedure, due diligence, and as is, this contract specifically only has the due diligence portion in the contract. So I want to go over some best practices. We've been discussing these things for several, several weeks now here at our brokerage firm, and we came up with some best practices that may help you and your clients better navigate the whole transaction with regard to due diligence. Stay tuned. So just like all the other videos that I do or podcasts that I do, I just want to start off with a real quick disclaimer. Um, if I am not your broker in charge and anything that I share may seem contrary to what your specific broker in charge has told you, please, 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 I can't beg you enough, please go exactly by what your broker in charge has told you. Um, I am definitely not trying to step on any other broker's toes. I'm just trying to give my humble opinion on uh, some best practices for due diligence. Also, I want to make another disclaimer. Um, obviously, I'm not an attorney, and so anything that may seem contrary to what an attorney has given you for advice, please uh, go by what that attorney has, has told you in their legal opinion. Uh, the majority of information that I share has come from the fact that um, I serve on the South Carolina uh, Realtor Association Forms Committee and we've been working on due diligence now for, for, for many, many months. Um, so I've gotten some good background, uh, which is what has allowed me to be able to uh, come up with a lot of these best practices and along with working with other agents and, and my brokerage to come up with these. So that's the disclaimer, not an attorney. If I say anything that may be contrary to what your broker in charge says, always, always, always go see and talk to your broker in charge because I don't want to influence that. All right, so the very first thing I want to bring to your attention is the notice address and information that uh, you as a buyer's agent or you as a listing agent are, are going to be filling out when submitting these offers. And um, I just want to read this real quick. I'll put it on the screen. The notice address, the physical address and email on the contract shall be used to determine where all correspondence, notice of termination, termination fee is to be delivered. Now, the contract states that the buyer shall deliver the notice of termination and the termination fee to the seller. Well, it, the seller may be using the brokerage, the listing brokerage's address. Um, telling our agents, uh, obviously, we don't want buyers traveling to a seller's house um, to give the seller a, a document. So, we're in our brokerage, we're having all of that, the notice address, if we're on the listing side, to be at our brokerage where buyers will then come to our brokerage and bring that or the buyer's agent will bring that notice of termination and that termination fee here so it's very important uh, regarding the notice address of that information being on there um, i also want to point out that nothing prohibits 
a buyer from utilizing a digital ePay service, for example, like Venmo, Zelle, PayPal, Cash App, to pay the termination fee. Uh, wiring funds should be what I consider a very last resort because of the current wire fund uh, funding and scams that are going on. So we know that buyers are going to be able to uh, utilize these services, and so you may have to get those usernames and get them as quickly as possible, and that's going to have to uh, go to the seller so the buyer can transfer that termination fee if they decide to terminate to the seller through that those means. Um, but very importantly, I just want to make sure that uh, it's, it's recommended that Agents do not touch the termination fee. We're trying to push this all to our agents here, that if a buyer has to bring a termination fee here, it's written out to the seller if it's in check form. Um, we're just really discouraging agents to get that from their buyers and bring that to wherever the seller wants that notice address to be. We'd rather put, put that emphasis on the buyer and the responsibility on the buyer because of the, the liability that comes along with having somebody else's money in your possession. So we'll continue on and talk about when you as an agent are representing a buyer, what, what should you do when you get ready to put in an offer? Well, one of the best practices that you can do is contact the listing agent to obtain the notice address or ePay usernames if applicable. Place this info in the seller's notice address because you as a buyer's agent you're contacting the listing agent getting exactly the information of where the seller wants and the seller's agent wants that uh, notice uh, address and information to be so it's going to go in the seller's line also when working with a buyer the notice address for the buyer will be more than likely the buyer's agent's brokerage okay so if especially here at seed and joiner if you're working with a buyer in the buyer lines Put your office's physical address, your email address. Um, could be a good idea if, if you had to put the ePay username in there as well. That's a good practice. Try to get as much information up front as possible. So if you're working with a seller, when you receive an offer, make sure that the buyer's notice address, more than likely it's going to be the buyer's agent's brokerage, that address is in the buyer's line and the email address of the buyer's agent so you know exactly where to send all information back to. But when the seller goes to counter offer, one of the things you want to make sure of is that your office's physical address, your email address as a listing agent, and any ePay username for your seller is in that notice address line as well. Uh, prior to sending the offer back to the buyer's agent. You know, that would be a good practice to get all that information up front or upon counter, make sure that information is in there. So again, buyer's information, buyer lines underneath the buyer signatures, make sure that's in there. If you're on the listing side, if you're a buyer's agent, make sure you put that in there upon offering. And then if you're a selling agent, make sure that you verify that all that information is in there and then put your offices where the listing is out of your office's physical address. So if a buyer does have to terminate, they know exactly where to bring that, either that physical check or any ePay username in there so the buyer can make contact with the seller through that ePay user app and that, that termination fee can be distributed at that time. So let's go on and talk about the due diligence expiration date. Let me just read it right from the contract, what it says, and then we'll get into the meats and bones of it. Um, the due diligence period begins upon the effective date and shall expire at 6 p.m. on such and such calendar date. Any extension to this date must be made in writing and agreed to by both parties. 
Okay, so now that we know what the contract says, let's talk about some best practices on how to really calculate this expiration date because there's a lot of confusion on what has to be done. Well, let me just make this very, very clear, very simple. Every negotiation as far as repairs or the buyer's decision to terminate must be done before this date comes to 6 p.m. or before the due diligence expires, I should say. So everything, if your buyer's gonna do inspections, if they're gonna do radon, if they're gonna do whatever type of inspections that they wanna do, um, and they wanna ask for any repairs to the seller, all of this has to be done. The repair request needs to be sent over to the seller. The seller can then either choose to uh, do the repairs, do some of the repairs, not respond at all, and then the buyer still has to be given the opportunity to uh, be able to terminate prior to this expiration date. So a best practice that we've come up with, I'll read it to you, when calculating the expiration date of due diligence, give the buyer plenty of time to perform any and all inspections they desire, along with the time for the seller to respond to requests of repairs, and then a time for the buyer to accept, renegotiate, or terminate prior to the expiration. So as far as an example, for example, you give the buyer a full 10 days after the offer gets executed or it becomes effective to, to do all the inspections and submit repair requests. And that's done on SCR form 525. Maybe give the seller three or four days to respond, to see what they're gonna do, what they're not gonna do, whether they're gonna respond at all and then maybe give two or three more days after that for the buyer to decide what they want to do, whether to renegotiate, terminate, or accept the sellers, whatever the seller came back with, okay? So I wanna make something very clear too, is when you're doing a repair request, there is an expiration date on the repair request, SCR Form 525. This is, this is how the, the buyer lets the seller know hey, we'd like you to respond to this by this date, and it should be always before, always, always before the due diligence expiration date. We're talking two, three days before that expiration date, so then the buyer has the opportunity to accept, renegotiate, or terminate the contract. Something else I want you to consider, or is another best practice, consider the expiration date falling maybe on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, and not on weekends, because this protects buyers and buyers agents from holiday weekends and offices closing early. Maybe a lot of offices close early on Fridays. I know a lot of times CD and Joiner Realtors will close at two or three o'clock on a Friday if it's a holiday weekend. And there's a lot of times where there's holiday Mondays. So for example, if there's an Easter weekend, a lot of offices will celebrate Easter and be closed on Monday. So that's why best practice, maybe look at the calendar and do your due, uh, due diligence expiration date, maybe on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Be cognizant also of the expiration date falling on a federal holiday. Of course, that could fall any day of the week, right? So just be careful with that and be cognizant. And then if you need to extend, notice the contract says any ext extension to this date must be made in writing and agreed to by both parties. If you need to extend the due diligence date for any reason, utilize SCR form 390, which is a blank addendum to extend the due diligence date when necessary. And please, no email or text message extensions. It's got to be agreed to by both parties. Have both parties sign the extension. Both parties must sign and agree to it. So 
No email, no text messaging, no phone calls. Hey, we're going to move the date. No, it's got to be in writing and agreed to and signed on by both parties. So one of the questions that I get asked a lot is what amount of termination fee should they put on the contract? Well, there's no real clear cut answer to this. There's a lot of factors that go into the termination fee itself. For example, the age of the property, the condition of the property, how long the property is going to be off the market, the motivation of the seller, whether they've advertised that they're only doing an as-is sale, they'll make no repairs, or whether it's the motivation of the buyer uh, as far as whether they really want the house or they don't mind if it if they don't get it. So a lot of factors. So there's no real clear cut answer to the amount of termination. So just be cognizant that there's some rules of thumb with the termination fee that we've kind of come up with. So rule of thumb, the longer the due diligence period, the higher the termination fee. You take somebody's property off the market for an extended period of time, more than likely the seller is going to want to see a higher termination fee. Rule of thumb number two, the higher the sales price of the property, the higher the termination fee. Now I've heard a lot of people uh, saying, well, it should be this percent or this percent. I don't really know exactly what percent it should be. I don't know if there should be a percentage in there. It's, it's all going to be dependent. The biggest question that you're going to have to ask your buyers is what are you, Mr. and Mrs. Buyer, willing to put up and walk away from if you decide to terminate the contract prior to the due diligence period? Whatever amount that they're willing to do, that's more than likely what you're going to put in there. Some other information on there. For buyers wishing to create an as-is contract, buyers may consider a very short due diligence period with a high termination fee. Also, if there are multiple offers on a property, the amount of termination fee being offered could be the deciding factor for the seller to accept the buyer's offer. So the higher the termination fee, if a seller has multiple offers and they see a high termination fee, that could actually be a deciding factor whether the seller is going to accept that offer or not. So there's been a lot of talk over the past few weeks about when the termination fee should be, writ should be written. And uh, I've heard some brokerages are requesting the termination fee to be written up front. Others are just going by what the contract says. Here at CDN Joiner, we're going by what the contract says. And the termination fee is delivered and written when the buyer decides to terminate the contract. We're not going to hold on to termination fees for buyers whatsoever. I understand that uh, there may be a time where a buyer may need to write something and have it held because they will not be here during the due diligence period and they need to make sure that, that termination fee to get, can get to the seller if they decide to terminate. This is not a good practice and writing it up front could actually limit the buyer's negotiating position. So again, we're only going to ask the buyer for their termination fee if they decide to terminate and we can get that or they can get that delivered to the seller or seller's agent uh, along with the notice of termination. So let's discuss the repairs process and what goes into that. Remember repair requests are written on SER form 525, the request of list of repairs. And all repair negotiations are to be completed prior to the due diligence deadline unless an extension has been agreed to. There is no exception to this. There's no exception to this in the contract whatsoever. Always submit all repair requests at one time. Do not piecemeal request and be cognizant that once a repair request has been executed, the due diligence period is over. So make sure you get a repair request all at one time. Don't do multiple repair requests because when repair request is executed, the due diligence period ends. 
Understand that sellers are under no contractual obligation to respond to repair requests. Please make sure that your buyers understand a seller is not contractually bound to respond to the repair request whatsoever. Most will, just understand that they do not necessarily have to whatsoever. Buyers should also be cognizant that just because they can ask for anything they desire to be repaired or replaced does not always mean that they should. If a buyer decides to ask for multiple pages of repairs, this could limit the opportunity that the seller is going to make those repairs. Matter of fact, the seller may not even respond if it's too much of a list and that way it's going to put your buyer possibly at a disadvantage where the seller doesn't respond and now the buyer is going to have to decide whether they want to accept, renegotiate, or terminate the contract. And understand a buyer is not obligated to submit a repair request. If no repair request is submitted by the buyer, the contract automatically becomes an as-is contract once the due diligence period expires. It's right in the contract. If they can't come to an agreement, if there's no repair request uh, represented, anything like that, if nothing is done during that due diligence period, the contract automatically becomes an as-is contract. All right, so understanding the ultimate goal here for both buyer agent and listing agent is to bring both buyer and seller together to a successful closing. It's not the goal for a buyer to terminate a contract. That's, that's, that's not why this is in here. Obviously, the contract is written to go to closing. However, there are going to be times when a buyer is going to change their mind or decide to terminate. So what happens then? Well, let's discuss that. When a buyer decides to terminate within the due diligence period, the buyer shall, not may, not maybe the buyer shall deliver both the termination fee and the notice of termination SCR form 313 to the contractual notice address on the contract. One without the other will result in an as is contract unless otherwise agreed in writing by both parties. That's directly in the contract. And if earnest money is being held, the buyer will also sign and deliver a release of agreement, which is SCR form 518. It is recommended that this form is delivered at the exact same time as the notice of termination and the termination fee. And one other thing regarding the notice of termination, South Carolina form 313, it is what's known as a unilateral termination, which means it only requires one party's signature. So if a buyer decides to terminate, that document only needs to have the buyer's signature on it. The seller does not have to agree with the reason why they're terminating. It's a unilateral termination. So the buyer sends over the notice of termination along with the termination fee. If there's earnest money being held along with the form 518, the release of agreement and the release of the earnest money. So one last thing before we finish up today's uh, video and podcast. I want to let you know that there are certain things within the contract that fall outside of the due diligence period. That is the financing contingency, the appraisal contingency, and the wood infestation or the CL100, the termite inspection contingency. Those three things are not in, have nothing to do with the due diligence period whatsoever. So I hope you've enjoyed today's Brokering Different uh, podcast and video on uh, South Carolina's due diligence best practices. I hope it has given you some information that you may or may not have known or at least been able to clarify in your mind so you can help your buyers and your sellers. If you like this video, please make sure that you click that like button. If there's a little bell on the screen, make sure you click that 
to get notified every time that I upload another video. And if there's that subscribe button, you want to make sure that you're following the videos that I share on YouTube, please click that as well. Listen, until next time, God bless. Hope to see you around the real estate corner. If I can ever do anything for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. Take care. Thank you.